0: Nicholas Bornoz of Capital Link, I would like to welcome you to uh, the container sector panel. Clearly, this, the container sector is one of the sectors that is getting tremendous attention right now uh, from investors, from uh, cargo owners. Uh, yesterday, when uh, we had uh, the dry bulk panel, uh, you know, the theme of the conference is shipping, is it all glitter and gold with a question mark? And referring to the dry bulk, somebody said it's not gold, it's uh, platinum. So I was asking the panelists, what could be above platinum? And somebody said maybe uranium. So I'm looking forward to uh, your tremendous insight on this uh, extremely exciting and vital sector. I will turn over the floor to Chris Weatherby of uh, Citi. And I'd like to thank each one of you major uh, industry participants for uh, sharing your insight and foresight uh, on the sector. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, thanks, Nicholas. It's Chris Weatherby from City Research. So, yeah, it's, it's really a pleasure to be here. And I think if there's one group within shipping that could have sort of, you know, sits at the st- top of the stack in terms of, you know, platinum, maybe it's the trillion dollar platinum coin we've been hearing a lot about. It certainly seems like it's the uh, the container shipping market. Uh, given what we've seen with with contract rates and, and sort of the overall congestion and, and you know lack of supply in the market clearly a lot of demand as well so we have a great panel uh, I'm not going to introduce everybody but obviously we have a bunch of folks from really some of the biggest uh, owners in the world, and I think they are going to provide some really good context for us to really understand what's going on. For this group, the supply chain issues aren't necessarily a problem, right? Vol- volumes are good, rates are even better, and I think as a result of that, everyone is generally doing quite well. Um, there has been, however, a lot of focus on you know problems in the supply chain, and congestion is a really big one, a big problem, big part of that problem as it pertains to fl- the fluidity of the supply chain, particularly as we think about Asia and North America. So maybe let's start with congestion, which is a topic that's sort of on everyone's mind here and think about it. So, you know, maybe Graham from, from Atlas, let me, let me start with you and, and, and ask you sort of a sense of, you know, what is your perspective on congestion? I guess really the question here is, should we expect what we're seeing in both the Asia as well as the US ports continue for an extended period of time or is there some evidence beginning to build that congestion can be alleviated a little bit like it has been at shanghai in the last couple of days by normal seasonal deceleration of activity once we get into the new year
2: yeah thanks chris uh you know it's it's the million dollar question and i think uh um, I'm not going to get the million dollars for the answer, but there's so many variables here, it really is quite difficult to predict. I think everyone's aware that um, the pandemics had a major impact on the supply chain. And although a lot of the impacts are on the, the on the vessel fleet, we know that a lot of the issues are actually the land paste, um logistics and getting the, the clearing out of the ports. So beyond uh, looking at the supply side, which is where everyone tends to focus, there's also been quite a shift in the demand side both in terms of increased demand, but also change in demand patterns. So when you put those two things together, Chris, it makes it very hard to forecast how this is gonna play out and what time frame. So we could stabilize things around the pandemic and get to a new normal, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna clear the backlog.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's a very good point. And, and I think that's, a, that's very fair. You know, maybe George, if I could ask you to chime in here any perspective on what we've seen in Asia over the course of the last couple of, of weeks? And, and even if you go a couple of months, I think one of the issues has been sort of the inconsistency of how the world is generally responding to COVID. You know, Asia generally has a zero tolerance policy. So when things crop up, manufacturing largely shuts down, which has some disruptive effects on the supply of goods coming to the market. And then we've also seen um, you know, the the, the US kind of try to work with COVID and continue to sort of operate under the existing environment we're in right now. So you know, anything Thoughts on, on maybe what we could see out of the Asian ports and just sort of general fluidity around the manufacturing center.
3: Right. The the subject that you open, it's a very interesting subject which can uh, spill over to the to what we think about the market uh, going forward. Was I, I think is one of the hot questions. Um, let me start by saying that uh, what uh, Graham said is very correct. Now we see a lot of. Uh, a lot of manufacturing disruptions and we all know that this is a, a huge disruption due to the semi uh, I am a biker and I like bikes. Uh, Harley-Davidson's, uh, especially in the U.S., are produced 300 bikes a year and this year they only produce 60. Uh, they have renewed in Europe all their uh, you know, dealership contracts for the year with all the services, clothing, service, spare parts, except sales, because they don't want to be sued by any of the the dealers for not supplying bikes. Cars, on the other hand, they are going to be 10 million uh, cars produced less than what normally is produced. So we see a lot of backlogs. These are just two examples. We see a lot of backlogs of orders, and now the new power breaks in, in China, will create even a, a further backlog. But that for us, although it might seem, and that's my personal opinion, although it might seem uh, negative for our industry, I, th- I see this as very positive. Why? Because what we, what we have right now is a completely jammed system. Uh, adding more f- fuel to the fire, it doesn't really matter for us in, the, in, in this panel, the, the tonance providers. Uh, It might matter for our customers, they might even get some even more stellar, uh, you know, income, but I don't think it it is also for them good. It is far better that we shift some cargos to the the near future, the next 12 months. So we continue to have a very strong uh, demand, let's say, pipeline of cargos by pushing uh, all these backlogs backwards. So that's, that's my, my, my view on, on disruption from COVID on the manufacturing. Now, I have been involved, uh, I don't know if any of my panelists here, in, uh, in the development of a medicine for protecting people in, from COVID, which is now about to take the final approval from the European Medicine Association, EMA. This is an existing medicine, it's not a new medicine and this is I did it not for, for profit but just as an ESG of, uh, of our companies. Now, having been involved in this process since uh, first quarter of 2020, I have to say that we are far from dealing with the COVID issue and um, we might be very close to dealing with it in the US or in Europe, but we're far from dealing with it in uh, in in Asia, Africa, South America, and other countries, so I think the congestion is, is is has to do a lot. It's or if not solely with COVID. So, I if if anybody believes that we're going to be done with COVID within the next twelve months, then yes, congestion will slowly but steadily subside. But I do not believe that anybody believes that we are going to be done in 12 months globally
1: with COVID. Okay. That's a really interesting perspective. And it's great to hear that you're working on medicines and therapeutics for COVID. It's something that we all need. And certainly, like you said, in parts of the developing world, it's a, it's a huge need. So that's that's fantastic. So, Constantine, let me, let me sort of shift it over to you. What's your take on, on how long all of this lasts? I'm kind of curious to see if you agree with George. Is, are we going to be sitting here in another year's time uh, with Nicholas and talking about, you know, congestion related to, to COVID issues and, you know, rolling closures of either manufacturing or consumption uh, parts of the world?
4: I, I pretty much agree with what Graham said. It's the million dollar question. And, and uh, I, I would be happy to, to lock in that million for me, but I also don't have the, the answer on that. What, 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 is, what is definitely the case, and, and the colleagues have, or the co-panelists have alluded to, to, that, to that already, is, is, the, is, the, is the point that we, we are in a situation where there is backlog. Um, we are in a situation where for sure, if you look at all industry participants along the supply chain, They want to have more, um, there is more volume. So there will be more volume coming our way and the volume cannot be transported. So you look at very low inventory levels in the US, you look at backlog of shippers, you look at shippers actually strategically deciding to make sure their supply chain works because it's, it's nothing is worse for them than not having a functioning supply chain. We have, um, as, as, as is known in the public, I mean, we have shippers chartering investors directly to make them more resilient from supply chain disruptions. So I think all of that will also affect the trading pattern going forward. Um, and it shows that there is the willingness to commit for longer term, um, because there's a strong belief that there will be longer term volumes that need to find their way in particular on the east-west routes i mean we're operating 2800 u ships on east-west routes the, the ships don't don't belong there um, naturally yet uh, resilience of supply chain is on the very high strategic kind of um, agenda of of some uh, shippers. And therefore, I mean, talk to DSV, talk to MERS, talk to everyone. We're not just looking at high freight rates. We're also co- looking at much longer contracts on their part. It's not just the charter contracts that have gotten longer. It's also, you know, the, uh, the volume contracts of, um, or price volume contracts of the uh, liners. So there is, in, in general, in the industry, a I would say a consensus that the volume will continue on a very high level, whether that is in this very disrupted environment or whether just it's it's high volumes, I don't know, um, but I'm for sure seeing another uh, two to three quarters where the disruption will certainly not be uh, dissolved at, at this point in time.
1: Okay, that's very helpful. I want to get Evangelos and Aristides into the conversation. So let's talk a little bit about you know, sort of that that duration in the market, right? So shippers willingness to go out longer term with the contracts. We've seen that, you know, to Constantine's point, I think that's very astute. We've seen that across the supply chain. It's not just the container shipping issue. It's something we're seeing across the world. I even see it here in the US on the trucking side as well. So so maybe Evangelos, can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing um, in terms of the contract discussions that you're having, you know, with, with your customers and, and sort of what what might we see in terms of duration of new rates? Are we going to go back to five or seven or maybe even longer type of term deals? Or is that just don't make, doesn't make sense for, for folks like you who own the assets right now, where you'd rather keep it sort of intermediate, have the opportunity to recycle it higher in case the market stays tight?
5: Yeah, um, I mean, since uh, January, uh, every week the market has been uh, going up, right? and. Uh, It's been a tremendous bonanza for charter owners like ourselves. Uh, And what you gradually saw happening is bigger ships started getting longer periods. So uh, between one to three years, then they went up to five years, which is sort of the plateau of what we've seen to date. And then you had, uh, as you went down the chain, uh, smaller and smaller ships being fixed for longer and longer. So you practically now have all asset classes being chartered uh, for three to five years at what are very healthy rates. And this is very welcome for us. Um, I don't think we would, we as a company would choose to speculate and fix for 12 months and get a crazy high rate of $150,000 a day because the rates that we can get for uh, three, four or even five years uh, make perfect sense. And generate fantastic returns. Uh, it's true. And actually, this is the first argument I use when I speak to our uh, investors. Uh, I mean, the liners uh, the rushing to fix tonnage even a year before current charters expire, so fixing forward a year for four or five years, goes to show exactly what their view is because they are in the market, they understand the trade flows much better than anyone goes to show that uh, uh, what Constantine said before, there are practically not enough ships to carry the cargo that is out there. And for these guys, it's very important um, to lock in the operating asset, the tool that they have on which they need to load the boxes and transport them from one place to the other. So um, five years in terms of duration is what we've seen. Uh, We haven't seen fixtures. Uh, going beyond that. Of course, when it comes to new buildings, it's a different uh, story. And uh, Graham can give you more more context on this. Uh, But these are sort of project-driven returns over 10 or 12 or 15 years rather than fixing existing tonnage. So that's our view on this.
1: Great, Aristides, can you weigh in? What are you seeing in terms of duration what would be your perspective to approach the market? Would you be willing to go shorter to try to capture some of this rate environment or you just feel good about kind of getting some duration and, and, and making sure you lock in those uh, those numbers?
6: So uh, I'll try and say a couple of things uh, different from what the others have said because uh, it's very difficult to say. We all share the same opinions as I can see and uh, the consensus is there that this is something that is going to last. Uh, not only are we seeing uh, charter ships one year in advance for four years going out, we're seeing them even buying ships with delivery within a year after, after, the, uh, after today. So the consensus I think overall is that this is something that is going to stay and how can it not stay I mean the IMF yesterday out, came out with its new prediction of what the market uh, what the global growth will be and uh, yes uh, it said it's not going to be 6% that we were saying previously it's going to be 5.9% but with a global growth of 5.9% which is a huge number uh, you can expect that you know the markets will continue to be extremely strong. For this to reverse itself, I I think what we have to see, and because of all these issues that the others discussed about uh, the congestion and the problems in the the whole logistical chain, where the biggest problem is not the ships, but it's trucking, it's containers themselves, it's uh, the factories, uh, it's everything. For this to stop, we need to see a significant drop in global growth. There is that possibility. In my mind, it's not very uh, possible, but it is there, it exists. The energy prices have increased tremendously. That can slow growth a little bit. I was expecting the IMF to to suggest us a bigger drop in the GDP growth. From 6 to 5.9%, that's nothing. I mean, if that stays, I'm pretty sure that the next two or three years are going to be extremely good. The supply will not increase within next year and the year after. It starts increasing in 2024 onwards. So I cannot imagine any real correction before that.
1: Got it. That, that certainly makes sense. And,
6: and, and to answer the, the first part that you said about short-term and long-term charters. Our strategy is to get as long-term charters on the majority of our ships, but a, a few ships we we are keeping them on the shorter-term market because it's it, it's really giving very significant returns.
1: Okay, okay, that that makes sense. You know, a, a lot of investors and a lot of the folks I talk to look at the short-term box rates, and I know you know as an indicator of what's going on, and I know this group, that that box rate discussion doesn't necessarily translate to how your businesses operate. So you guys are looking at things on a longer term basis. You're not going to see the massive peaks, like you said, at $25,000 of TEU from Shanghai to LA, but you're also going to be able to get significant duration and some visibility into the way that you think about it. That being said, on the margin, we've seen box box rates come off the very peak that we saw probably two or three or four weeks ago. So very small sort of moves in the short run, but directionally, there are things that investors look for. So maybe coming back to Graham, how do you think about that? What's the explanation for that? It's a typical seasonality that's kind of flowing through. And so broadly speaking, still the long-term view holds things very tight for an extended period of time. Just want to put some perspective around what's going on with the short-term rates so we can help investors understand the difference of how you guys see the business and what that means to shippers in the short term.
2: Yeah, I guess firstly, uh, just to highlight, Chris, as you say, you know, the short-term rates is really um, specifically for us not, not that much of a focus. You know, we're much more focused on long-term uh, contracted cash flows. And you know, we're talking about sort of uh, what's happening in terms of those durations. You know, if I look at our new build program of 70 vessels, that's got an average of over 11 years contract term against that 800, nearly 40,000 TU. So, you know, there's quite a bit of duration. As to short-term rates, yeah, of course, um, I think we all have a portion of our fleet on short-term, but um, the, that was also mentioned by Evangelos and Aristides about forward-fixing. You know, so we've done uh, 58 of those already this year. So nearly half of our current on the fleet, on the water fleet, we've forward-fixed. So we've actually got very few roll-offs, well, none this year and only a couple next year. And then there's a few the following year because you do want to maintain some flexibility. So I think that what I've seen on the short term rates at the moment coming off a bit, it seems to be, um, from what I can ascertain, very much linked to um, the supply chain issues in China and the manufacturing slowdown there. And I I guess um, everyone's also seen the sort of issues around power supply uh, instability in China at the moment as well, which has sort of led through to the manufacturing sector. And I think. There's been a flow-on set of assumptions around. Well, that will reduce um, goods being produced and therefore slow down um, the supply chain. Apart from that, I haven't really seen any other um, indicators which would really justify a softening in the rates. Um, and I'm I'm pretty sure that. Uh, well, no, I shouldn't say I'm pretty sure, but um, it's unsure whether that will be sustainable or whether they'll just recover back to where they were, whether it's just a momentary blip or whether it's something sustained.
1: Okay. Okay. That's helpful. You know, maybe what would be helpful, what I'd love to hear from folks in the, you know, in, in the Zoom room here is is where you're seeing contracting occur. So what rates you guys are getting on specific vessels? And obviously to the point that you can disclose it, we don't want you to give any information that you're not allowed to give, but in terms of sort of the most recent chartering activity that you've all done, would love to hear sort of the size of the vessel, the types of deploying, you know, the types of contract duration, and generally speaking, roughly speaking, the sort of rate that you're getting. So, you know, maybe Graham, coming back to you, you, you talked about you have, I know you have a big new build program, a very large new build program, but when you're thinking about stuff that's rechartering in the market now, What are you getting?
2: Um, Well, most of our rechartering, like I said, it's not short term. So I'd say with, um, I was just looking the other day, there's probably 18 or so vessels that we've done this year, which there is a marked increase in the charter rates over what we've had previously, but that's 18 out of 130 plus vessels. You know, so our portfolio is very much skewed to the long term and as much as possible You know, that long term means that we sort of flatten down the rate curve from the charter side, and we just really don't play in that short term end of the market much at all. Um, So we haven't seen a substantive uptick. We have certainly captured some of it um, with the variable fleet that we have. And as we've communicated previously, that normally on an average year runs at about 10 to 15 percent of our fleet, which is on short term. And that's now pretty much locked up, as I said, for 21 and pretty much for 22. So we're not in a position at the moment um, where we're sort of in that that short-term part of the market um, with recharters. So as much as possible, we're trying to make sure that we're sort of locked in through the, the new build program. I'm talking not just ours, but I'm talking the global new build program, which comes in over the next few years uh, I think irrespective of where we believe that new build program sits in terms of long-term trends, it's a big lump. And you would expect that that would have some sort of softening on the market. So we'd really like to try and minimize our exposure to that um, 23, 24 period as much as possible.
1: Got it. That makes sense. George, you know, even if it's just in percentage terms, are you, are you, see, are you chartering in the market currently? And, and if you are, sort of, you know, what the type of level of increases that you're able to capture?
3: yeah uh, well I think you asked us to to give a guidance on uh, the various types of ships and charter rates right yeah mm-hmm. all right, all right. I, I would say that uh, ships up to two and a half thousand tu the maximum duration they get is three years and now the rates depends on the ship but I would re- I would say around the mid35s okay and ships between two and a half, uh, all the way to three and a half. I would say the maximum duration is about four years, rates around 40,000. Then ships uh, in excess of uh, three and a half up to an inclusive uh, Panamax maxis, which is 5,000. I would say they can fix five years, uh, rates around uh, 45,000 to forty-eight for the five years. Depends again on the ship, et cetera. And then above that, it's uh, something that doesn't really exist, you know, uh, charter free, you know, post Panama ships, in other words, uh, if, if you get any, you would be def- definitely talking five years, you would be definitely talking in excess of 55,000 per day, all the way up to, I don't know, 65, 60, 65, depends. Yeah. But there aren't such uh, vessels available anyway. So I haven't seen recently fixtures, so, so I, can, I can be accurate. Uh, and above, uh, above 7,000, again, very rare commodity, you know, difficult to, to assess rates. Okay. Now, on your question about, or your initial question, I think, was also about uh, box rates, freight rates, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So, freight rates have softened a little bit uh, right now, but that is, I think, a bit uh, seasonal because we had the golden week. Um, it, it doesn't really affect us as tonnage providers. It, it is a matter for our clients, the liner companies. But I, I would I want to say that it is healthy that freight rates for the liner companies. And I mean, we've seen the initiative of CMA, uh, who is a who is a partner in in a, who is a, shareholder, a major shareholder in our company, and we have seen the initiative then followed by HAPAC to. To, you know, to put a plateau on the, on the freight rates, you know, to not to let freight rates go up to, from today's levels, at least for a period they, they committed themselves. And I think that's a very healthy move, because I read uh, recently uh, an article about the inflation, uh, world inflation, which, as we all know, is going up for the consumers, And we don't want the consumers to have inflation because that is shooting ourselves on the foot. You know, we want consumer confidence, we want consumers to be able to spend. So if uh, freight rates uh, become an issue, the very high freight rates for consumers to have um, less money to spend, in other words, as Mm -hmm. the inflation will eat up their buying power, uh, that's not good. So I am I'm very happy to see that freight rates have plateaued in a way and they're softening. And this is very healthy for our industry and for maintaining, you know, the income, our liner companies and then us in, in sequence to maintain the ability to fix healthy rates for long term periods. Uh, so I think that freight rates might soften a little bit right now, which is a very positive sign. Uh, but I don't think the, 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 the freight rates are going to materially come down in the foreseeable future.
1: Okay, that's very helpful. That's great color. And I appreciate you giving that sort of detail, uh, vessel size by vessel size with the duration as well. Constantine, if I could hit you here, you mentioned some smaller than average ships running on east-west lanes, which I think is kind of interesting. What type of rates are those types of ships getting in this environment?
4: I mean, I would pretty much echo what uh, George said on on the rates. Um, I think that's that's where we are at this stage. I think to to put that into context of your earlier question on freight rates. I mean, the freight rates, the softening in freight rates, and that's what I said earlier, has to be seen in combination with longer periods also on contracts. Yeah. So in fact, it's. I mean, you, you get uh, also the, the the liners get longer contracts from the shippers at maybe marginally slow, uh, lower lower rates. Uh, I think it's actually very good for the industry and it actually means that it's a prolonged profitability um, for, for the whole industry. I think it, it is very positive. And the fact that you know, people react on the SCFI going down by 0.5%, I mean, that, that in my view is, is, is not really looking, looking through uh, the reality here um, because the periods have, have become longer just as they have become longer for tonnage providers like ourselves. So I think that is very important. Secondly, um, obviously the visibility is yet still a bit front-loaded for for our customers, the liners on the freight rates. That's why we have at least in certain instances on smaller vessels, been able to front-load also the charter component. So whilst it is potentially on average of $40,000 per day, you get front-loaded on the first year. And I think this is how to manage counterparty risk in this market. Uh, This is very important. And that's why I think you can have a benefit of being able to charter out vessels in today's market, we have this year chartered more than 50 vessels. Actually, um, at this kind of uh, different market uh, um, or, or very unique market, I would argue. So I think to to also de-risk your charter exposure in a way by agreeing on that. And I'm not saying that is possible throughout the bench, but it is possible and it has been done. Um, and I think that's a way to to also match the higher freight rates and the higher visibility of our customers with the cash flows that we earn on charter contracts. And I think that is probably a nuance to to what George said. Otherwise, I think on rates, uh, we're all on the same market. Uh, we're seeing the same rates. And I can just confirm what uh, George said on that on that end.
1: Got it. That's super helpful. Appreciate that. So Evangelist, when you think about sort of the conversations that you're having with your customers and their evolving needs, I guess, what are sort of some of the the, the biggest concerns that they bring up to you? Is it just, I I need duration, so I I want to take down this ship for more years than I would have naturally done. And and obviously they're also probably thinking that that's a way to reduce sort of the pain in the short run. Do you think there are, you know, so first that question, what are your sort of customers most focused on when they are in the process of chartering with you? And then do you think that there are other creative solutions to the point that Constantine made about front loading some of the cost, where maybe you can de-risk some of your counterparty exposure by, by kind of pulling forward some environments where they're making money hand over fist. We want to make sure that that passes on to us kind of now in the current environment. So we're not left with this tail risk down the road when maybe we're in a weaker environment.
5: But, you know, customers are faced with a uh, fantastic freight rates, right? And they, they as I said before, they do see the depth uh, in the market in terms of cargos that are going to need to be transported. So they see that this uh, it, you know, this is a market that is going to remain strong for the foreseeable future. And what they basically need is they want certainty of the asset in order to be able to carry those cargos because they're making uh, huge amounts of money. And what they pay for the charter rate whether it's 40 or 50 or $60,000 a day, it's actually a blip compared to what they're making, right? So they, their, their singular focus is to secure the asset to be able to uh, create the income from it. And uh, of course, we, as Constantine said, uh, we have also done uh, front-loaded deals, where for example, the charter rate that was agreed was $45,000 a day, uh, but we're making 80,000 in year one. And then there is a gradual step down over the coming years. And yes, this is uh, if 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 you have concerns about counterparties performing, uh, that's a good way to de-risk uh, your your top line, if you wish, or the collectability of your of the revenues. Uh, these actually uh, these sorts of requests came from our charters. We did, we were not the ones to suggest this because they also wanted to match a bit uh, the the you know. The visibility that they have in their uh, tremendous earnings at this point, uh, which they don't know how exactly it's going to be one, two or three years down the road. Uh, The other thing which is very important for our customers and uh, hasn't been discussed at all is the whole ESG uh, situation. Um, They're coming under tremendous pressure uh, by their stakeholders to uh, take initiatives to move towards reducing greenhouse gases, CO2 and and so on and so forth. Um, I mean, uh, in in early summer, Hapa Lloyd had their AGM. Um, They had repeatedly increased their dividend distribution and one would expect that you would have happy shareholders in the room. Uh, They actually got criticism from their shareholders for not keeping some money aside to uh, to invest in environmentally friendly technologies instead of distributing it all as a dividend. Uh, Merck has announced recently um, that you know that they are investing both in biomethanol production and also in building ships that would use this fuel. Um, and um, uh, you know everyone, I mean this is the next big theme I think for our industry uh, because. And it will also help the demand supply fundamentals because the existing fleet is ultimately all other things being equal, is gonna have to slow down, to meet emissions requirements. And that speaks in my mind to a prolonged strong charter market, right? Because by the reduction ships now go full steam, right? At some point, they're gonna have to start reducing speeds uh, to meet emissions requirements. And this is gonna sort of take out effectively, in one day, a big chunk of, of the existing supply. So um, uh, back in uh, November of, of, uh, of last year, I was on a capital-link panel, I think, and I, I used the term supercycle, and my co-panelists were uh, uh, laughing. But I, I really think that this is now playing out. This is not going to be some short-term strong market. Uh, we see continued strength. For at least the next couple of years, I'd say, um, uh, and from and you know save for any uh, unforeseen black swan events that no one can predict, that's where the fundamentals uh, lead you to.
1: Okay, that's that's helpful. Um... You know, there's been some questions coming in uh, on the Q&A chat and certainly feel free to do that. I'm um, Happy to get to them and I'll do the, my best to get to all of them. So Aristides, maybe throwing one your way. It's kind of an interesting one and it sort of fits with the theme that we've been just talking about, which is sort of the discussions with the the customers and sort of what they're seeing and what they want. Um, there has been a lot of talk in the market about individual retailers kind of going directly into the charter market and taking down ships themselves. I think Home Depot, Costco have been sort of most public about chartering their own vessels for their own supply during particularly the peak season. I don't know if that's something that you've seen at all. Is this actually happening on a tonnage provider and end market customer basis level basis, or is it you know, the, the retailer going directly to the steamship lines and just basically speaking for an entire vessel themselves, or so there it would be an intermediary between you as the tonnage provider and ultimately a company like Costco or Home Depot. I don't know if you can weigh in on that.
6: Well, no, definitely, uh, we, we do see the, the retailers and other individuals get in and compete uh, with the Traditional liner companies in in taking ships on charter, uh, short-term charters at this stage, which uh, it just goes to prove how much money can be made uh, from this business. So when you mentioned before to relieve some of the pain on the liners, I mean that was obviously <laughs> an exaggeration. There is no pain in the liners. We are seeing we have one of our vessels, a 4,200 uh, tu ship. Which we chartered uh, for two to three months uh, to to one of these smaller new uh, smaller entities that used to do just uh, uh, they, they used to just uh, charter empty uh, take empty containers from place A to B and now they're playing a role in the market and they are paying us two hundred and two thousand dollars a day for this period. Uh, within, during which they expect to do two trips. Uh, that shows, you know, that every liner that is paying us for four or five years, $40,000 a day, they're making a huge profit at this point in time. So, so there are huge profits being made, uh, and that has uh, led to all these people trying to come in and either retailers trying to charter their own ships, you know. Uh, so, so, so I think, I think that uh, this cannot last forever, obviously, and that's why we saw the lower uh, and, and, and why, for the reasons that the other said, this uh, reduction in freight rates that we've seen is very, very welcome. Uh, we do not want to over-squeeze the end-users at the end of the day, because that will bring down growth again, as we said, and this is the only thing that matters. If we have growth, the market will continue to be strong. Uh, So so, so that's that. I wanted to say one thing on the ESG thing. Uh, I think for the next three years till the end of 2024, the current regulations will allow most ships to to continue to be able to sail. But uh, from 2025 onwards, it is very possible that ships will not be able to sail because they will not be meeting uh, the criteria necessary. I don't know if this is going to happen if we have such a shortage of ships and and the plans will be changed and the uh, rules will be changed. But with the current rules, 2025 uh, will will show us that some vessels cannot even trade unless they do very significant modification work. So that might change because I I predict that we will need a lot of seats then and we might be forced to change it. Like, just like, uh, you know, many countries today that were shutting down all their coal mines have changed their mind and are saying We need our coal mines. Germany is saying it uh, and others are too. We need our coal mines because there's no uh, energy has become too expensive. So it will be this decarbonization uh, process is going to be affecting the markets tremendously for this decade. And it's a very, very important parameter.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's a really important point. And actually kind of really segues nicely into one of the questions that we got from the audience uh, on the Q&A line. And it's about, you know, the, the visibility or maybe lack thereof into emissions regulations and how to think about that in the context of ordering new ships. So maybe a perfect segue to Graham, you're ordering new ships, you have a lot of, order, you know, a lot of vessels on the order book. So how do you think about the emissions, cha- emissions regulations going forward in the context of all of those orders?
2: Yeah, it's certainly uh, one of the hot topics of the day uh, in terms of vessel propulsion technology. Um, As you're aware, Chris, um, sort of 25 of our new build fleet are actually dual fuel LNG. Um, These are demanded not just by our customers, but also technical teams have been working on it. Do we think that's the end game? No. Um, I'm sure that the, the technology will evolve. But at the moment, um, really, the LNG supply chain is the most um, robust supply chain to ensure that you've got bunkering for the vessels. And therefore, it's the sort of logical short-term choice. Um, there's more work being done now around both um, bio LNG and synthetic LNG, which can blend, which might extend the life further of those dual fuel vessels. And also a number of them have actually been uh, pre-designed ammonia ready as well. But once again, I think this is moving quite fast in terms of this technology development and um, how it will roll out. Uh, I think when we sort of look at the overall order book, I think there's been um, sort of a significant delay in ordering because people, uh, if I go back a few years, people don't know where to go uh, given the regulations that they can see coming and no one wants to commit um, to a long-term capital investment without some sort of certainty. Um, All I can say now is that um, now that we've sort of moved forward with this, we're seeing quite strong demand um, from customers for dual fuel LNG. Um, But like I said, it's certainly in my mind, it's not the end game. It's just an interim step in this sort of journey we're on around vessel propulsion. Um, But I think anyone that's been involved in it understands the complexity of not just the technology of the vessel, but also the supply chain to make sure that... um, you can actually fuel those vessels where you need to uh, at the right time at the right cost.
1: Okay. All right. That, that's helpful. Um, I'm sure other folks have questions on that or maybe have comments that you want to share, but I, I do want to try to get to as many of these as we can in the last, you know, call it seven or eight minutes that we have left. So maybe, George, there's a question about deployment of capital based on the very elevated earnings that everybody on this panel is sort of making right now, obviously the container, the liners themselves are are making, you know, robust profits these days, charter rates are elevated. So, so how do you think about deploying that capital? Is there going to be a a large return to shareholders? Is there a reinvestment that you want to make? Is it around emissions technology? How do you think about spending that extra money?
3: That's also a very interesting question. Obviously we work for the shareholders and, you know, we we are we have a very large uh, shareholder base and we care about them so and i think every every public company th- should think in the same way and i think everybody sh- is thinking this way at least in this panel now obviously we have to we we do not intend to grow a fleet for the sake of growing that's the biggest mistake anyone can do and uh, i would say that running a public company should be no different than running a, pu- a private company so where well, there's only one shareholder. So the idea would be, you know, what, what do you do on a, on, a, on a market like that? You have to, to try to find opportunities uh, to grow if it is accretive, uh, also distribute dividends, also consider buybacks of the company. If it is uh, accretive, we have done such a thing recently. We have done dividends. We have done most of these things. Uh, We have bought ships accretively. So it's not a one action. It's a multiple actions. We, on the the other hand, uh, have not uh, uh, followed any new build orders, although in the past, uh, Poseidon, which we merged with GSL, we have done a lot of new buildings. Uh, we were in the first uh, one of the first to do this uh, new echo design ships, white beams, back in uh, order them uh, 10 years ago, the sevens. Uh, so we haven't done any new buildings right now because of uh, echoing um, Graham's points that uh, it's a right now no one knows what the, the, the final step will be. So we're waiting on the sidelines to see the technologies building up and we want to keep also our powder dry for ordering ships that will have let's say a long future with uh, the new propulsion technologies we're seeing mask being the first one to try a very brave move and uh, order what is really really considered a zero emission ship and uh, we want to see how this will go so it's one of the one of the one of the causes uh, you know one of the targets for having a You know, money aside for a company is to follow the ESG regulations going forward and be able to be one of the first in the wagon of ordering the zero emission ships, uh, which will be, of course, uh, in very high demand, as we can imagine, uh, since there won't be many of those uh, in the
1: future. Got it. That's helpful. And then jumping around a little bit here, but on the similar topic, you know, given the uncertainty in emissions, um, you know, maybe, maybe for, for Evangelos, if I could ask you your perspective, the question on, that we're getting on the chat is, is how long can you stretch the useful life of these vessels? And so how, how long can you have sort of grandfathered in vessels operating under old fuel uh, standards uh, in the current environment, if you kind of want to stretch the fleet a little bit?
5: Container ships have, uh, you know, we've run container ships historically up to 32 or 33 years of age. Uh, container ships, as long as there is a market that can support the continued operation, um, you know, the, the wear and tear you get in container ships is nothing like what you get in bulk carriers or tankers. Containers, you just have to load and unload boxes, so there is no real strain on the hull from the operation of the ship. Uh, therefore, to the extent, uh, you know, there is a market and, there, and you know, under the, the regulations, we can trade the ship. Aristides alluded that you may, you, know, you may be faced with uh, ships not being able to trade, which I, I tend to not agree with, not because of the regulations, but because of the fact that, you know, we're going to need assets to transport containers and you cannot uh, by, by decree sort of reduce the fleet in half. There's going to be chaos. So yes, uh, it's a very good thing that uh, uh, only SPAN is ordering. Uh, uh or almost only see Spanish ordering ships and uh, the order book is at a pretty healthy uh, state. Um, so uh, yeah, I think uh, you know we uh, existing ships will always be there to service uh, the, the industry as long as it makes economic sense.
1: Got it. It's important that we hit the, the sort of the order book a little bit, you know, Graham talked about it earlier, but maybe let's go to Aristides first and get a sense on what your perspective is on that order book. Are we going to have kind of a surge in 2023? It sort of strikes me looking across multiple industry, industrial and markets that I cover that most production is being impacted by supply chain issues and chip shortages. Should we assume that the container ship order book is, is also potentially at risk of being delayed because of some of these issues? So can you talk a little bit about your perspective on, on what maybe the market might look like in 2023 or 2024 in terms of deliveries of new vessels?
6: I, I think uh, for sure 2022, the deliveries are going to be extremely minimal. So we will, we, we, that will support the markets. 23 is going to be average, 2024 onwards, there's been quite a few orders for ships on the larger sizes, certainly not on the smaller sizes that uh, we are active. There are not a lot of orders being placed and the fleet is uh, the eldest over there. So I do see the, uh, you know, the bottleneck there remaining even in 2024 on the smaller ships. Uh, so, so I think that, that, that's the very simple answer or, or on the supply side currently.
1: Okay. Constantine, what's your take on the order book? Do you you worry about the, the ships potentially being an overhang as we get out of 2022 and into 2023 and beyond? Do you think it has the potential to negatively impact rates?
4: I think, first of all, there will be delays in new buildings being delivered due to the disruptions that we see now and that will continue. So I think this is a very important point when looking at the order book. That's number one. Number two is obviously the order book. The distribution of the order book is very important. And RST has alluded to that to some extent that it's very much geared towards the large ships Um, also for the smaller ships to have to take a clear view on supply of fuel uh, of vessels that are more flexible in their trading pattern is very challenging. Uh, Graham mentioned that, you know, LNG is something where the infrastructure is there. That's the case. That's true on the trades where the larger vessels operate. It, it's, it's certainly not true on the smaller vessel trades. So I think this is a very important factor why I believe we will see less, let's say, innovative feeder on smaller vessel orders uh, going forward. And that's also a reflection of the order book. So we will see pretty much a a market where the larger vessels will come into the market and then it's a question of cascading and and where does cascading bring us in in that sense i'm quite confident when looking at the interconnectivity in particular in intra asia and other other regions that smaller vessels will be in demand um, and therefore i think the order book itself is probably a bit overloaded on the larger sizes uh, it's probably Uh, underweight on the smaller sizes, especially if you also look at the age profile of the fleet globally and the trading pattern that in my book will evolve and will lead to more interconnectivity of certain um, intra-regional areas. Okay.
1: Okay. That's helpful. So it looks like we're actually right at the time here. So I think we're going to probably wrap it there. I thought that was a really good conversation. We were able to get everybody involved. I think there was a lot of really interesting and unique perspectives that you all shared. Although I will say it sounds like for the most part, people are reading off of the same script about how good the environment is right now. And that's completely understandable given where rates are and the overall sort of demand in the market relative to the existing supply and congestion. So with that, thank you gentlemen for participating. And I appreciate Nicholas. you opportunity to let me you know, host this panel and I'll turn it back to you
0: well all I'd like to say is uh, thank you it's been a great panel and if I may also point out for a number of years we we'll all you know we have been discussing about the challenges the risks now it's a good time so let's enjoy it and uh, <laughs> Sounds good. not only it's a good time but uh, according to the conversation there will be a continued good time so let's enjoy it and uh, be optimistic. Thank you very much for an amazingly terrific panel. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Thank everyone. You Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Bye. Nicholas. Take care.